0: In the stories of the life of Jesus, one of the things that he made very clear, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, was he said that the kingdom of God was present with the people who were around. That the kingdom of God was actually there and present. And for a long time, people have wondered what exactly is this kingdom of God. And they thought, okay, well, maybe it's, you know, the future, it's heaven, it's where we go when we die. And it's not really what Jesus is talking about if he says that it's present, it's there, it's even within them. What he's talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God, as we've talked about a few weeks ago, was that the promises of God were present, real, and there for them to take. That the promises of God, that the covenant God made with people long, long ago, that he would bless them and they would be a blessing to all nations, was present in those very moments when people recognized that God was king. Last week, if you were with us, we had a guest speaker, Dr. Stuart Blythe, and he shared with us that When Jesus left, when Jesus died, he rose again. He appeared to his followers, and then he left. It says he ascended to the Father. He went to where God is. It says that he left the Holy Spirit to be with us. And Dr. Stuart Blythe was sharing with us how this Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the person, the Holy Spirit, is with us, and it enables and empowers us to be people— who live out that promise from long ago, that covenant that God was carrying forward, that covenant in a new way with us, in us, and through us to be blessed and to be a blessing for others. And that God did that so that we could be living out that promise he gave us so long ago. And as we've been together for a few weeks and we've been exploring this idea of the big picture of the Bible, which really centers around that God has a promise for his people. He made them good. We made choices that went away from his guidance, but he has always been faithful. And he is faithful to keep his promise to bless us and to be a blessing. And the pivotal moment of shifting in our history is when Jesus died and rose again defeating death and enabling us to be in a relationship with God unlike any other time in history, where we didn't have to worry about the reality that we were missing the mark, we were sinners, but that Jesus solved that for us by taking on sin and death himself and making things right between us and God. And so because Jesus did that, the world shifted and it shifted like it never had before, where there was an opportunity for all people from all but kinds of backgrounds to enter into a relationship with the God who promised them, who promised them that he would bless them and they would be a blessing when they were in this relationship with him. And Dr. Blythe showed us how the tables started to turn with the work of the Holy Spirit, that when the people gathered after Jesus died and rose again, that his immediate followers, the apostles, when they were gathered gathered in an upper room and the Holy Spirit came to them, they began to speak languages that they themselves wouldn't have known, but were the languages of the people around them. And that those people, because they heard in their language, we're welcomed into the reality that God's promise was for everybody. Always has been, always will. So how is that promise that God has given us, that promise that God has fulfilled in Jesus, that promise that has enabled us in the Holy Spirit, how is that enacted in our world? And in the big picture of the Bible? In the big understanding of that covenant, of that promise that God has for us, it is enacted, it is happening through the church. Now, that might sound strange to you. If you are like me and you've gone to church before, if you are like me and you've been in church for a while, you know that churches aren't always what we hope them to be. Sometimes churches are painful. Sometimes churches don't exactly teach what the big picture is that God was there for everybody. Sometimes churches don't live into the reality of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit demonstrated on Pentecost when it initiated people speaking in different languages so all could hear the goodness of God. Sometimes churches are not that. Because sometimes when we think about churches, we think about these buildings that we find ourselves in. But the reality of church, the reality of it being a key part in the big picture is not that it is a building, but that it is a people. In the book of Acts, When we see that the Holy Spirit comes to the initial followers of Jesus, and we see that at Pentecost that they are able to speak different languages to invite others into this community, they are called an assembly. They are called an ecclesia, which is where we get the word church. But it really just means a gathering, an assembly of people. And in the book of Acts, as we see the story unfold, that Peter, who is kind of leading the clan, he's leading the group, uh, starts to share, proclaim who Jesus is and why this changes everything. We see that what the church, the group of people who believe this do is that they devote themselves to the teachings of the apostles, which we see in the book of Acts is this proclamation that Jesus died and rose again, that is a fulfillment of all that God said would happen, and there is a promise attached if We respond with repentance, turning away from what was and turning to God. That they devote themselves to this apostle's teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the sharing of meals together, what we would call the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. But it was more than what we might do on a Sunday morning or online as we did recently. It was a sharing of a meal With people from all kinds of different backgrounds, people who had, people who didn't have, people of one gender or another, people of one race or another, or ethnicity, all kinds of people were welcomed around the table and to share a meal. And it wasn't about who had or who didn't. Everyone was equal around that table. So they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to, to be with each other in community, to care for each other, to love each other, to, to have a bond that was deeper than all of the societal standards that were existing in the day, but it was a bond that was uniting in Jesus and into prayer, that they would communicate and commune with God regularly. And so these early followers made this their priority. They made this who they were. They established an understanding that they were people who devoted themselves to what was taught, who broke bread together, shared meals, who had fellowship, meaning a commonality, a community together, and who prayed. They cared for God in a demonstration of love for God through prayer and through the apostles' teaching, and they loved their neighbor by sharing a meal and having fellowship. In a world in the first century where to have fellowship with someone was to associate with them, to share around a table with someone was to say that we are the same is not something that happened with the different statuses that would happen in the church. In the Roman world, if a rich person was having a dinner party, there would not be a poor person at the table. In the Roman world, if a Jew was Having a get-together, there would not be a Gentile present. Race, sex, finances divided people. Yet in this church, in this ecclesia, in this assembly, they devoted themselves to what they knew to be true, the apostles' teaching of who Jesus was, what he did, why it matters, and how it changes everything if we respond And they devoted themselves to praying, to communing, communicating with God, and to caring for each other, even those we had differences with. This is the fulfilling of being blessed and blessing others. The church is the living, breathing, active embodiment of the covenant. The promise that God said he would bless us and we would be a blessing to others. So how does the church do that? Well, like I said, a lot of us, when we think about church, we think about like the building we're in, you know, like that's our association. Maybe we went to church as a child. And so we think of Sunday school and youth group, you know, and Wednesday night prayer gatherings and... You know, Sunday morning coffee time. We think of all those things, but that wasn't the visual. That wasn't the representation of church in the New Testament. Churches met in homes, but it wasn't really about where they met. Cause in fact, there were periods of time where churches met underground, where bodies were kept. They would meet in secret places where people would not go so that they could be together. Because church was not about a building or an establishment. It is about a people. It always has been. And it's not the building or establishment that is to embody, enact, the blessing that God gives us. It is the people who are meant to. The Apostle Paul wrote to one of those churches in Rome. This church in Rome met many times in homes. That's primarily where it happened. It would be people of like mind, people who recognize the apostles' teaching, who have been touched by the Holy Spirit, who recognize that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of their sins so they could experience life in all of his fullness, and that Jesus has defeated death and sin through the cross and that they were to repent. They were to turn away from their way of living because their way of living was sinful. It missed the mark on being fully human the way God intended them to. So they came back to God through Christ. And this mix of people, some wealthy, some poor, some Jew, some Gentile, some men, some women, People from all kinds of backgrounds would form this assembly, this ecclesia, this church. And often they would meet in people's homes. Sometimes, most likely, it was more wealthy homes because they would have the space for it. But there came points in history, as I mentioned, where they would meet underground in the catacombs, where bones were kept, where people didn't regularly go so that they could find a safe place to meet without being persecuted. Because when they met, they understood, they understood that they were meant to be the embodiment of this covenant to the world. Because in their world, in Rome, people were hungry. People were isolated. People didn't mix with each other based on class, based on sex, based on ethnicity. And so there were periods of time in Rome's history where the poor were very, very poor, and the rich did not care. And there were periods of time where there was ethnic divide between the people, and people did not care as long as they were on the winning side. But this church said they devoted themselves to fellowship, that the rich and the poor could come together that the people who had nothing in common had the one thing that really mattered in common, and that is Christ. And they could be family. They could be community. There was a period in time where the people who were poor, who were poor because they were taxed so heavy. And because they were taxed so heavy, uh, they were disgruntled and they were frustrated. So what would happen was the emperor, the Caesar, would throw a party for them. He would call it bread and circus. It would be gladiator games and bread. And so the emperor who would go out or have his people represent him go out and they would throw bread to people saying Caesar is Lord and people would say, yeah, for sure because they were getting that bread. And so it happened once in a while, sometimes multiple times a year because the emperor did it so that the people wouldn't revolt. But people had to agree that Caesar was Lord to get that bread. And so for certain people, especially Jews, they couldn't do that. They couldn't confess that. They knew that Caesar wasn't Lord, wasn't God. And so they would go hungry. And so what the early church did is they revolutionized the world because they fed everybody. And they didn't feed them saying, you have to profess Jesus as Lord. They fed them because Jesus was Lord. They didn't make people believe what they believe, but they kept enacting on their beliefs because they knew, they knew they were meant to be a blessing to others because God had blessed them. That's what the early church did, and that's what the church is meant to still do. The church is the living, breathing, active embodiment of that promise from God. To be blessed and to bless others. And each little The microcosm of that exists in these establishments we call churches, but really it is about us. It is about me. It is about you. It is about anybody who follows Jesus. You are the church, whether you show up into a building or not. And that's why when COVID happened and people were like, hey, we have to cancel church, we would say, no, we've never canceled church because you are church and you've always been church. We just don't meet in a building right now. The church never stops. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to this church in Rome, had this to say, help them understand what it meant that the church was part of this covenant. It was the living, breathing, enacting covenant of God on earth. He says this in chapter 12, starting at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with your faith. Be self-aware, he's saying. Don't think you're better than anybody else. Also, don't think you're worse than anybody else. Be self-aware. Know who God made you to be, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you're made in his image, and he loves you, that Jesus died and rose for you. Just like everybody else, you matter. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, are one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That is really important. Each member belongs to all the others. In the church, we are a body. We are a living, breathing embodiment Of Jesus, because he is the head on earth. And each piece plays a part. Each one of us plays a part. And none of us is independent. We are intrinsically intertwined. We are connected. We are meant to be together. So if you over there do something and you think, ah, it doesn't affect anybody, you are wrong. Everything we do is connected because we are a body together. And so when there are certain people who say, I'm a Christian, then they act in ways that do not embody the love of God and the love of others as self. We should be upset because what they do affects you, even if you don't associate with them. Because we are a body that expands over the globe. It's not just about a little local assembly. It's about all of us. And so every part is connected. And so when I hear of pastors in places who are saying the government is oppressing us because we can't meet together on a Sunday, so we're going to disobey the rules they have in place that are meant to protect each other, it upsets me. Not that I think that everything the government does is right, but it upsets me because they're not thinking about the people they are hurting and the witness they are having about who Jesus is and why he did what he did. When I hear of people saying those people don't matter, it upsets me because they will use their faith to defend their position as to why maybe immigrants people of different races, people of different genders or sexualities don't matter. But in reality, they do because everyone does. And it hurts me and it hurts the church. Because even if I don't agree with them, even if we're not associated, we're all part of the same body. Every single one of us. So if you sitting at home are someone who follows Jesus, guess what? You and me are connected. It doesn't matter if you're in Brazil or Guatemala or Australia or even Quebec. We're connected even if we don't meet in the same building because we are a body and each piece plays a part and each piece is meant to work in harmony with each other. And if you are like me, you could go, well, I don't think that's actually happening. But let's pause on that and jump back into the text. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encourage it is to encourage and then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Sometimes in churches, we don't really pay attention to this because we just have places that, I mean, churches as in the local uh, embodiment of this grander assembly of the body. And we just kind of go, okay, well, we need people to do this, so let's just find somebody. But that's not the way God has designed us. He's actually designed us that each of us has a uniqueness to us that God has given us. It doesn't mean that you're better than someone else. It just means that you are gifted and designed in a certain way. And because you are gifted and designed in that certain way, you have a place. You have a purpose. And so the church is meant to be a well-oiled machine, or better, a well-functioning, healthy body. Where each piece is doing its part. And when each piece is not doing its part, the whole body suffers. Some of you know this in your own bodies. You have illnesses. You know that, you know, even when you stub your toe, which seems so minuscule, it affects everything else. In the same way is the church. There is no piece of the body less worthy or important than any other piece just like you know, that baby toe, as useless as it seems, can throw everything into a whack if it hits a corner, in the same way it is in the church. Every part is connected. Every part and person matters. He continues, he says, that love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another love. That's really, really important, as far as it depends on you. Meaning, someone might not be at peace with you, but do your part. It's not about them. It's about you. Do your part. That's all that matters. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Everything I read there is Paul saying this is what it looks like to live out the covenant as the church. You are to be a blessing to others, and you can do it when you recognize your part to play, that every part is important, every person is important, and each person affects each other, that nothing is independent. We are all interdependent. And when we function well like a healthy body, this is what it will look like. We embody love for each other. We don't push other people down. We don't tell other people they don't matter. We don't hate on anybody because of what they believe or where they come from or anything else. We embody love, and even when they hate us, even when people go against us, we do all we can to love them, because it's not our job to hate them. Our job is to love them. That is what God has invited us into, because he has said, I will make you a people who will be blessed and will be a blessing to others. There is a promise, a covenant that God has made a long time ago to all people, and it is being lived out in the church if you want it. So do you want it? Do you want to see a world where this promise is lived out? Do you want to live in such a way that the covenant is real? God is keeping up his side of the promise, but it's up to us to live like it. You and me, we are the church. You know, these people we don't even know halfway around the world, guess what? We're the church with them too. And everything we do matters to each other. How has God gifted you to be part of the church? Locally in Bromley, globally as the body. What's the part you play? Because guess what? It matters. It matters to be lived out to the promise and blessing God has for all people, and he has had since the beginning, even when we haven't been paying attention, even when we haven't been living it out. You are the church. What does it mean for you to live like it? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you invite us to be the living, breathing embodiment of you, of the promise you made on this earth. And I pray for us wherever we find ourselves. You know, some people are, might be in Latin America. Some people might be halfway around the world. Some people might be in Ottawa even. Wherever we find ourselves, see, help us to see that we play a part in this bigger thing called the church. And it's not just about this local group that I love and you love called Bromley, but it's about a worldwide revolution that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the promise and blessing you gave long ago. Holy Spirit, help us in our position, in our moments of every day, to show that love to be your church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.